In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, the Bible says, in regards to us as the church, we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And I, I want that to stand out to you this morning, that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. He is the most important aspect of this building. And the Bible says, in whom all the building, it's in him that all the building, fitly framed together, grows unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. And so this is a living building. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And in him, through him, we are fitly joined together. There's not going to be this fitliness, this unity, this cohesiveness apart from Jesus Christ. Um, if, this, if this aspect of Jesus Christ is not found central in our personal faith and belief, then everything is going to become misconstrued in the church. And for the last 2,000 years, we've watched that history. We've watched how politics comes into the religion of Christianity. We find how hierarchy begins to assert itself within the church of Jesus Christ. And people become abusive and people become manipulative because Jesus Christ is not the chief and he's not the one that's being allowed to fit us together in various opinions and various desires and various likes and dislikes begin to come into the church of Jesus Christ. And none of those things are to exist. Everything is supposed to be for him. Everything is supposed to be by him. It's all to him. And so I want you to be mindful of that. The church is the body of Jesus Christ. He is the head of this body. And so this church derives all of its life and all of its function and all of its purpose through and from Jesus Christ. The church does not exist in the thought of God apart from the revelation of Jesus Christ. And yet there are multitudes of people who consider themselves Christians or even consider themselves to be part of the church because they belong to a local denomination or a local congregation. But apart from Jesus Christ in the life, there is no church. There is no revelation of Jesus Christ and there's no indwelling Holy Spirit for the church. It must be Christ within you. This alone makes the church the church. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Therefore, where you find the church, you should find Jesus Christ. If anybody is looking for Jesus today, they should be able to go to any church of Jesus Christ and find him there. Not denominationalism, not professionalism, not politics, they should be able to find Jesus Christ, a way clearly made to him without all of the trappings of religion. The church is the body of Christ, and Jesus is to be preeminent when his Lord's people come together. This is what the church is when it's truly constituted. It is upon the ground of this that men meet with God and God meets with men. 
And apart from Jesus Christ, God cannot meet with men. Apart from Jesus, we can have no fellowship with God. It is absolutely impossible. The church in and of itself is not the answer. The church must be the habitation of God through the Holy Spirit. And apart from God's habitation, and I say this in your personal life, as you go out into the world, like we explained last week, the work in the church and the work of the church, if we're not going out into this community as the expression of Jesus Christ, then we have no hope to this world. We offer it no hope. We can give it no hope. But we should be an expression of Christ everywhere we go, in our workplaces, and our, in our supermarkets and schools. Wherever we are, there should be a manifestation of Jesus Christ. And this was the difference between Moses and the occultic powers that were there in the courts of Pharaoh in Egypt. These occultic men had great power. They were able to call upon demon spirits and work magic and do powerful, powerful things through their incantations and fellowship with demons. But there came a point where what Moses was doing was separated from what these magicians could do. And the magicians had to admit that these men are the power of God. We cannot match what they're doing. We cannot continue to compete with them for this is the finger of God. And they had to admit that. And so the difference in Moses and the magicians was the very real presence of God. And that presence of God worked in a supernatural way. Imagine if Moses went to Egypt with a doctrine and no power. And yet that's what seems to be occurring in our world today. Is that Christians are going to attack the culture or deal with the world with a doctrine but no power. And the devil will laugh at your doctrine. He knows it better than you. And the devil will mock your doctrine. And the devil will trick you. But when God shows up, he exposes the devil and the darkness and the lies. And God reverses the situation through his supernatural power. The Bible talks about Jesus doing miracles. And it says in regards to Jesus, he said to the people, if you don't believe me for who I am, believe me because of what I'm doing. In Acts chapter 1, Luke writes to Theophilus and he said, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. And beloved, I say that to us. When God is in the vessel, you're more than a mouth. You're a demonstration of power. You're a supernatural life. And apart from that supernatural life, I don't, call, I don't care what we call it, it's not the thought of God. It's not his intention. God intends for us to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. But religion and the flesh has broken us into fulfilling its demands rather than the Spirit's demands. You see this in Pentecost everywhere and in practically every circumstance. For the true lovers of God, Jesus is to have the preeminence. If you love Jesus, that's what you want. Your flesh does not. But your spirit wants this for Jesus Christ. And I want to go to the book of Colossians for the rest of our study today. Because Paul, in a very similar way to what he's been doing in Ephesians, 
also brings this attention to the body of Christ and to the Lordship of Jesus. And so in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, he says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. This is the same thought that Paul had in Ephesians chapter 1 when he prayed that we would have the spirit of wisdom and knowledge in the revelation of him. We need this knowledge that comes from the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come automatically because you're born again. You have to want this. You have to ask for this and desire this. And apart from this knowledge, you will not walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. This knowledge of his will and of his glory, this spiritual understanding has to do with the relationship of Jesus Christ and his church. Because apart from the church, the manifold wisdom of God cannot be known. And so we have to have this understanding. In that understanding, we might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might. This is Ephesians chapter 3, as well as Ephesians 1. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Now I want to focus on Jesus. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him, Jesus Christ, and for him. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And I want to focus on this, this phrase in verse 18, that he should have the preeminence. And that is the desire of the Father and the Spirit that Jesus Christ would have the preeminence in his church. That we would seek him, his will, his counsel. That we would truly desire to live by his Spirit. But it is amazing how religious we are and not Spirit-led. That is amazing. Think of what the Holy Spirit could be accomplishing in the earth today. If the church of Jesus Christ, and it has to happen by individuals, if the church of Jesus Christ would allow Jesus to have the preeminence, imagine what he would be doing in the earth today. But our religion 
will not allow Jesus to have the preeminence. Our religion will not allow us to even have the liberty and the freedom to be spirit-led in our own church services among our own Christian family. We're intimidated by one another rather than moved by the Holy Spirit to give free expressions of love and gratitude and praise and worship to our God. We're stiff, we're stoic, we're religious, and we're not free to be able to give to God the preeminence that Jesus Christ deserves. But if he had it, imagine what he would be doing in the earth. Imagine the devils that Jesus would be attacking in the streets of Baton Rouge. The demon-possessed that would be set free. The people in the hospitals that would be released because they were supernaturally healed. The people living in confusion. Christian homes are in absolute perplexity, struggle, defeat. All that is required is for Jesus to have the preeminence. But yet, he's not allowed to have that. But at any moment, by faith, we could submit to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would would grant it immediately. And the the transformation would begin without denial. It would be absolutely incredible. So I want to talk about this Jesus who is to have preeminence. Jesus is to have the preeminence. And this Jesus Christ we're going to talk about. John was the last apostle to die. And John, one of the last books of the New Testament to be written was the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John was written by his own testimony at the end of the Gospel. He said, I write these things that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Because Gnosticism had come in. And so perverted the theology of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, that there were multitudes of people who were confused as to whether Jesus Christ was actually God. Was he actually God in the flesh? Was he actually the God-man? Or was he in higher order of angels? Or was he a superior human being? And so there was great confusion over Jesus and who he actually was. And so Paul, in this letter to the Colossians, is dealing with the exaltation of Jesus Christ and who he is and and all that he is. And I want to go back to this in verse 15. And I just want to allow some things to stand out for us. And Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so I want us to see this in in regards to Hebrews chapter 1. If you'll turn there, please. This is very important. Now, I personally believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. You could disagree with that. That's fine. But regardless, I do know the Holy Spirit did. And so in Hebrews chapter 1, it says this. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past... Unto the fathers by the prophets. Has in these last days. Spoken to us by his son. Whom he has appointed heir of all things. By whom also he made the worlds. Who being the brightness of his glory. 
and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, let me explain something to you, because there's a lot of false teaching going around today. But let me explain this to you. When we were created, we were created from the dirt. And God breathed into us the breath of life, and we became an immortal soul. Our creation was designed in such a way that we would have the capacity of friendship with God and intimacy with God. We were created in the image of God And we were created to reflect the glory of God. But that Adam that was made 6,000 years ago out of that dirt in the garden is not like the second Adam, Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. There is an absolute difference between the two. Because this Jesus Christ is the express image of God. The first Adam in the garden could not say to anyone, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But this Jesus could say to his disciples, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. I am the exact replica, duplicate, expression, person of the Father. All that he is, I am. All that he does, I do. All that he says, I say. I am his expression in flesh. Jesus is all God and all man. He's not like one of us. He transcends us. And he is the heir of all things. He's the creator. He made the first Adam. He is not like that. But he is fully man. And that is the mystery of godliness that God became a man. He sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. And a man, the man Christ Jesus literally does. But being made so much better than the angels, as he has inherited, obtained, a, by, by an inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, you are my son, this day have I begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings in the first begotten Into the world. He saith. Let all the angels of God worship him. God will not allow anybody to receive worship but God. He's the first begotten of the father. Adam in the garden was not. But Jesus Christ is the eternal son. The eternal God. Who was begotten in the flesh. He's the first one. And the only one. Begotten of God. Unique. Born of the virgin. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers of fire. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You've loved righteousness. You've hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your fellows. And you, Lord, in the beginning has laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. And this God, this Father, this Son, this Holy Ghost, are the creator, is the creator of all things, who has made all things. In chapter 2 of Hebrews, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death. 
That means he became a man. Crowned with glory and honor. That he by the grace of God. Should taste death for every man. For it became him. For whom are all things. And by whom are all things. And bringing many sons. Unto glory. To make the captain of their salvation. Perfect through suffering. For both he that sanctifies. And they who are sanctified are all one. For which cause he's not ashamed to call them brethren. Saying I will declare your name to my brothers. In the midst of the church. While I sing praise unto you. And I thank God. That this Jesus Christ. Who is to have preeminence in his church. Is the living God. The creator of all things. Who became a man. And he is transcendently above us and different than us. And in redemption, it is not simply the fact now that we are the express image of God, for we are not. It is Christ in us that is the hope of glory. It is the life of Jesus Christ by which we live and we move and we have our being in every way. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 or or, or verse 15 it says he is the firstborn of every creature. And I want to I touch on that for just a moment. Because the Jehovah Witness cult loves to come to this passage of scripture and say, well, you see, Jesus was the first thing that God created. Now, there's a whole teaching I can do on this about the creator. Because God says, I by myself created all things and nobody was with me or helped me. And so Jesus is in verse 16. This of Jesus, by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things consist. Jesus is the eternal God. And so when it talks about Jesus being the firstborn... In this Greek word, it means the father of it. He's the producer of it. He is the means by which everything came about. And without him, nothing could come about. He's the beginning of it all. He's the birth of it all. He's the one that made everything and all things possible. But we also have, in the context of Scripture, the understanding of firstborn. It's in verse 18. Because this is the explanation, I believe, of verse 15, the firstborn of every creature. In verse 18, it says, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And so here we have that word again, firstborn. And it is in reference to the fact that Jesus Christ, of all the people that ever lived, He was the first to be raised from the dead in a resurrected body. Nobody else yet has been raised like Jesus has been raised. Though many people have come back from the dead, they came back in flesh and blood bodies only to die again. But when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was the firstborn from the dead. Meaning, he came out of that grave, 
Not with a flesh and blood body, but a flesh and bone body. A body that was totally unique and different from any other human that has ever lived. Now, we anxiously await in the rapture of the church and the first resurrection. We anxiously await to be clothed upon with a body like that. We're going to receive new bodies of flesh and bone like the body of Jesus Christ. But he's the first one. And he's the firstborn. And what that constitutes that I've been trying to share with you for weeks. What that constitutes is there is a new creation in the earth. There's a new man that is now on the earth that had never been here before. And it could not be here were it not for the death, the sacrifice, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the firstborn of that. He's the head of that body. And that body is the church. And that church is a new living man walking in the earth. And Jesus is the chief cornerstone of that man. He's the life of that man. The power of that man. And apart from him there is no church. Therefore he is to have the preeminence. He's to be living in it. Operating in it, acting in it, and working through it. And this is particularly what Paul is bringing out in Colossians 1, 15 through verse 18. Just very quickly, if you will, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. And I wanted you to just see very quickly something that Paul writes about this resurrection of Jesus. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. He says, now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. So he's the first. For since by man death came, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Every man in his own order, but Christ is first. And afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. That's the resurrection. That we are believing for and anticipating. And he says in verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. There is a spiritual body. So when Jesus went into the grave, he came up in power and he came up in a spiritual life and a spiritual body, meaning that it's not blood that sustains the resurrected body. It is the spirit of God that sustains the resurrected body. Our blood does right now, but in this new body, it is the spirit of God. The cross of Jesus wiped out the old order of Adam and his race. When the Lord Jesus rises from the dead, he rises not as a member of the fallen Adamic race, but he rises as the first begotten from the dead of a new species of man altogether. It is a new creation, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. Not a renewed creation. It is a new creation. Something that has never existed before has come about. From the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And those of you that get it. You're the one that's privileged and blessed. To be a part of his body. 
and Jesus to have the preeminence in your life. That is quite a fantastic thing. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became man, lived and died to take away our sins and to make the weak strong, to make the dead live, to make the bad good, actually lives in you. And you want Him to have the preeminence in your life. Praise God. Not content with religion. I want the Spirit of God in my life. And this is the beauty of what Jesus Christ has done. It's not simply religious people trying to imitate the good deeds of Jesus, but it is a new birth and you become a new creature. This is so extremely important. So I want to, I want to say this, repeat this. Jesus is God and he's God become a man. I know that's elementary in your hearing, but I don't know how much we by revelation grasp the actual fact of that. If we did, we would give him the preeminence. And so he is God. He's preeminent. He's not just another voice. He's the voice of God. God spoke in times past by the prophets and the apostles. But he has in these last days spoken to us by his son. And there's no other voice coming. No other Every voice of God today is an echo of that voice. And don't listen to another. Listen to no other voice. And you have in your possession one of the greatest things that God could ever give to mankind. And that is your Bible. So that you can discern the voice of Jesus Christ from the voice of devils. You can check everything out by the word of God. Is this so or not? Because Jesus Christ, his voice never contradicts this book. They are synonymous together. He's not like us. He's not like the false teachers. He's not like those who are promoting themselves. He transcends us. He is above us. He is the reason we are here. He's the reason we exist. And he's the reason why we have a hope. I want to close with this. And... um. Carl, I don't know if you're going to be able to come down and help me. But I want to close on this. It's something that I wrote yesterday morning. Felt a need to send it to the pastors that I'm in fellowship with around the country and the world. I received so much positive feedback from this. I was astounded at how much the pastors and ministers... In our, in our world today, we're in desperate need of something like this. I must have sent this out to over 300 people. This is what I wrote. A stirring is within me for the simplicity and beauty of Jesus. The highest occupation of the Holy Spirit is the exaltation of Jesus. My heart craves this Pentecostal work of the Spirit in the earth today. However, I am grieved at what I see going on among pastors and the horrific complications of apostolic prophetic ministry. Much of what is preached today is about your breakthrough. And it's the same people every week who are getting their breakthrough. Or it's the same people every week who are being delivered. When is it ever going to work? The preaching also focuses on my anointing. My apostolic, my prophetic calling, knowing who you are, 
And that's the phrase. You need to know who you are. That's where it stops. It doesn't go on to say knowing who you are in Christ. Just knowing who you are. These are a few of the errors. And if you question these teachers, then you should fear for you are touching God's anointed. They cannot even be questioned. I believe all of this is the revelation of how secondary Jesus has become in this modern kingdom dominion movement. Jesus does not have the preeminence in this movement. It's not knowing my identity, but it's knowing who Christ is in me. That Christ in me is the hope of glory. Many are preaching the kingdom message today, but they are in the era of past movements that have repackaged themselves with the NAR, other churches that are promoting this. It is not the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus that Jesus sent us to preach. It is also complicated and centered in man. This is the exaltation of man and magnifying man's anointing. They are denying the soon coming of the Lord and that the church must take over the world and that Christians can be demon-possessed. This is causing many who are weak in the faith great fear and uncertainty. Authority is becoming abused as in the shepherding movement of the 70s. So my heart yearns for Jesus to have his glory, for the Holy Ghost to empower us to function in all the gifts and callings he has come to give us but that the power may be of God and not of ourselves. Jesus is beautiful. Grace is beautiful and brings such comforting joy and freedom into the body of Christ. Beware of the growing deception and multitude of preachers falling into this error. Stay true to the word. Be desperate for the Holy Ghost and love and magnify Jesus with all your might and faith. It is the revelation of Jesus that heals this world and reconciles men and nations. It is the distortion of Jesus that has illegitimized the multitudes into a bondage of religion and forms. Paul was not content to have a church. He was not content to have ten. He was not content to preach. He was driven to know Jesus. Amen. There was no other attraction for him. All was dung compared to the glory of the face of Jesus Christ. And this is the reason he still affects generations 2,000 years later. It was not what he knew. It was who he saw. Just as John, when he was caught up into heaven. And he saw a multitude of the most fascinating things your mind could ever imagine. He saw angels with multiple faces. He saw angels with multiple wings flying all around the throne of God. He saw angels bowing before God's presence, two of their wings covering their feet, two of their wings covering their faces, and two of their wings flying. He saw multitudes of people, tens upon tens of thousands of thousands, with the voices of mighty waters. But when John saw the Lamb, he saw nothing else. He was transfixed on that one. Amen. And he said over and over and over again in Revelation, I saw a Lamb. I saw Lamb. Not only is Jesus preeminent in his church, he's preeminent, period. Everywhere Jesus is worshipped, Jesus is first. Is he first in your heart? Is he first in your life? Are you really the church of Jesus Christ or are you just a religious Christian? 
Do you have the freedom and the liberty of the Holy Spirit to joyfully be able to express how worthy the Lamb of God is? Fall on your face, to fall on your knees, to lift your hands and raise a shout to give glory to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who would hang naked on a cross in front of the world for us because he loved you so much. He was willing to put the shame aside. Oh, what a king. What a glory. What a Christ. What a Jesus. What a saving Savior he is. I want you to stand with me as we close. And I want you to worship God. And I ask you to please consider, are you really born into this church? Or did you just take on the theology of Christ? But you've not become a new creature.